Good morning. It's Wednesday, February 10th. I'm Duarte Geraldino. And I'm Shamita Basu. This is Apple News Today. Each morning, hear about some of the most fascinating stories in the news and how the world's best journalists are covering them. Six Republicans sided with Democrats voting to move forward with the impeachment trial of former President Donald Trump. Today is day two of this process. We're going to walk you through the opening of the trial, but what we really want to spend time on today is looking at everything that brought us to this moment, the lead up to the election, false claims of fraud and the Capitol insurrection. This is the case the Democrats are making, that Trump's words and actions directly led to the events of January 6th. Yesterday, Democrats showed video footage of the insurrection, extremists storming the Capitol, breaking windows, beating police officers. After that video played, lead House impeachment manager Jamie Raskin turned to the senators. You ask what a high crime and misdemeanor is under our Constitution? That's a high crime and misdemeanor. If that's not an impeachable offense, then there is no such thing. Trump's lawyers are condemning the violence, but they rejected the idea that Trump is responsible for it. Listen to what one of his attorneys, Bruce Castor, told senators. We can't possibly be suggesting that we punish people for political speech in this country. And if people go and commit lawless acts as a result of their beliefs and they, they cross the line, they should be locked up. And that is one of the key questions here. Was Trump's rhetoric protected speech or was it a direct incitement of violence? NPR recently put together a timeline of events, and they suggest you have to go way farther back than Trump's speech on the morning of January 6th. He'd been laying the groundwork for sowing doubt about the election results for many months. NPR's timeline begins on April 7, 2020. It's one of the first times then-President Trump falsely claimed mail-in ballots were vulnerable to fraud. NPR points out, the former president repeated this messaging over and over again during the spring, summer, and into the fall of 2020. Remember this exchange with a reporter in September? Will you commit to making sure that there is a peaceful transfer of power after the election? Well, we're going to have to see what happens. You know that I've been complaining very strongly about the ballots, and the ballots are a disaster. Fast forward to election night, just hours after polls closed. Even though vote counting was nowhere near complete, Trump claimed victory. This is a fraud on the American public. This is an embarrassment to our country. We were getting ready to win this election. Frankly, we did win this election. In the two weeks after the election, according to The New York Times, Trump tweeted 300 times, spreading misleading and false claims about the vote. His team launched dozens of lawsuits challenging the results, which courts rejected. On January 2nd, Trump called the Georgia Secretary of State and urged him to overturn the legitimate election results in that state. And that phone call was recorded. So, look, all I want to do is this. I just want to find uh, 11,780 votes, which is one more than we have. Because we won the state. Just a note, Georgia's Secretary of State just launched an investigation into that phone call earlier this week. 
Then you have Trump's actions leading up to the day when Congress would affirm the results of the election, January 6th. Trump tweets about a big protest, that it's going to be, quote, wild. And when the joint session convened on January 6th, Trump loyalists from around the country answered his call, gathering in D.C. And just before they swarmed the Capitol, Trump spoke to the crowd. And we fight. We fight like hell. And if you don't fight like hell, you're not going to have a country anymore. NPR speaks with Ryan Goodman about this timeline. He runs the law and policy website Just Security. Goodman points to 2.24 p.m. as a time to pay attention to. That's when Trump tweets that Vice President Pence betrayed the country. Soon after, you can hear rioters calling for Pence to be hanged, calling him a traitor. May he go under the gallows. I hope he is put under the firing squad and found guilty of treason because men like him are the reason this country is falling apart. Where is Pence? Where is NPR also tracked what the rioters themselves said about their actions that day. And many of them said they showed up because Trump told them to. Here's Robert Pape, a political violence specialist, speaking to NPR. A woman from California uh, said, and these are in the court documents, and I quote, she felt called upon by President Donald Trump to travel to D.C. to change the outcome of the election because she believes it was stolen. We have a man uh, from Arizona who said he was in Washington as part of a group effort with other patriots from Arizona at the request of President Trump. We have another woman from Texas who said she entered the rotunda because, quote, he said, be there. And so I went, I answered the call of my president. We have dozens of such statements. Today, Democrats are going to continue arguing this case and drawing what they believe is a direct connection between President Trump's words and the deadly insurrection many people now simply call January 6th. Trump's lawyers will say Trump's speech is protected and didn't lead to the violent riot. Keep in mind as you watch the impeachment proceedings, this is not a typical court of law. The senators are jurors for a few days, but they are still politicians. And the legal arguments may not be stronger than partisan politics. You experience so much of life through your nose. Joy, fear, calls to action. When you think about it, they're all laced with different smells depending on what's happening. So imagine if your sense of smell were lost or scrambled, unreliable, if you couldn't smell food or if you took a whiff of coffee and smelled burnt rubber. We know that smell dysfunction is common for people with COVID-19. But now we're learning about 10% of them are still experiencing either no sense of smell, called anosmia, or a distorted sense, parosmia. The LA Times spoke with people who are going through this and the doctors and scientists who are trying to help them. This is so much more than just missing pleasant aromas. Your nose keeps you safe. It tells you when something's on fire or when something's rotten or dangerous to eat. So if your sense of smell is off, it sends the wrong message to your brain. And it affects taste, too. One example from the story is a woman who now gets nauseated whenever she smells onions or garlic. Another one 
had to wear a mask at Thanksgiving because the smell of meat was making her sick. We still don't fully understand how COVID attacks your sense of smell or why this symptom persists for some people. But there is a growing school of research. Some patients are prescribed smell kits. These are little jars of essential oils like peppermint, orange, lavender. And the thinking is you can retrain your brain to identify smells correctly again. Treatment like this has been used to help people who lose their sense of smell after head injuries or Alzheimer's. Recovery is different for everyone. One person in this story has a routine. She picks up the peppermint oil, smells it, and visualizes peppermint candy and toothpaste. Then she holds up the lemongrass jar and thinks to herself, Thai food. It's been a year since she got sick, a year of scrambled smells. She can't distinguish them yet, but she trains her nose every day, searching for what COVID took away. Valentine's Day is this weekend, and whether people find that exciting or maybe kind of annoying probably comes down to your relationship status. And maybe this weekend brings back some bad memories of breakups. Sometimes we don't see them coming, but new research finds that the internet can see a breakup coming from three months away. The Times of London wrote about a study done by a team of psychology researchers. These researchers crunched more than a million online posts from thousands of people before and after their breakups. Some did the dumping. Other people, you know how it goes. They got dumped. Researchers ran those posts through a language analysis program. Their findings identified some keywords, and it's not what you might expect. Yeah, it turns out when people are heading toward a breakup, they start to use language a little differently, even when they're not talking about their relationship. There tends to be an uptick in what psychologists call cognitive processing words. Basically, the things that we say when we're trying to figure something out. Words like understand, because, meaning, would, should. These researchers say it shows that people are working through some heavy thoughts and becoming more self-focused. And maybe there's a lesson about how to move forward here. People who kept posting online about their breakups tended to be less well-adjusted a whole year later. Those who moved on to other topics besides their breakups, they were quicker to bounce back. You can find all these stories and more in the Apple News app. And while you're there, check out some of our audio stories. We'll talk with you again tomorrow. Tomorrow.